Hello and welcome to Landscape Photography World, the podcast for everyone passionate about landscape photography. I'm Grant Swinburne and I'll be your host on the show talking to landscape photographers about their motivations, likes and dislikes. This podcast is sponsored by Syncback Pro, the professional photographer's tool to keep your images safe. How safe are your photographs? Or to put it this way, how would you feel if you permanently lost some or even all of them? The fact is, there are very real risks in storing your digital images on a hard drive, even if they're backed up to an external device. There's ransomware, hardware failure, file corruption, virus infection, and even accidental deletion or destruction. Syncback Pro makes this problem go away permanently. Syncback Pro is the professional photographer's tool to back up photographs, images, documents, and data files. Once set up, it keeps your files safe, quietly and reliably in the background. So if problems occur or disaster strikes, you'll have nothing to worry about. Your photographs will be safe. Which is why it's also the backup solution that I use myself for my own photographs. Take advantage of an exclusive 25% discount today by going to www.backup.sg. The software will never expire, meaning your photographs are safe forever. That's www.backup.sg. Give your photographs the protection they deserve. And now, on with the show. Sandra Dan's artistic journey began in childhood, nurturing a love for art and colours. Despite working in corporate settings, she found her passion in interior styling and later discovered photography during a backpacking adventure. Learning to capture the world through her lens, she developed a keen eye for landscapes and the interplay of light and shadow. Through post-processing, Sandra unlocked a world of creativity, blending her own photographs, digital art and textures to create captivating images. Her artistic endeavours earned her recognition in photography competitions. Embracing the role of a tour guide, she embarked on a journey of exploration, connecting with people from around the globe. In 2020, Sandra reinvented herself once more, finding her creative space and a new passion for teaching Photoshop. As a versatile creative, digital artist, educator and photographer, she embraces her identity and aims to inspire others to unleash their own creative potential. With a love for art and a good cup of coffee, Sandra continues to thrive in her artistic pursuits. We discuss how she transformed from landscape photographer to digital artist, where inspiration can be found and how she deals with creative slumps along with much more. I hope you enjoy the show. G'day, Sandra. Welcome to Landscape Photography World. How are you going? Hi, Grant. How are you? Fabulous to have a chat. Yeah, great to have you on the show. Yeah. You don't call yourself a photographer anymore. No. And I guess that's one of the reasons why I want to have you on the show, because you started in landscape photography a few years ago and you've shifted your focus Tell people about how that's happened. I guess I'll let you start the story where you want. You can go all the way back to the beginning of your landscape photography days and we might explore that a bit more or you can start where you are now. Thanks, Grant. I started photography in 2012 when I moved to Queenstown, New Zealand, and it was what I call my mature age backpackers experience. Nice. I was at the time in life where you think, oh, I need to shake the life up. So I packed four suitcases, moved to Queenstown, New Zealand, and had no job, knew nobody, 
And mm-hmm. so I gave myself six weeks. If I couldn't find a job within that six weeks, I'd come back to Oz. Sure. And so I did. I moved over there and I bought myself a camera, a little point and shoot. And mm-hmm. while I was looking for a job, I did a session with Jackie Rankin. Okay. And yep. I didn't know who Jackie was. And she was teaching me how to use the camera. And she said to me, where do you change the aperture? Where do you change the ISO? All of that. And I went, I don't know. She said, have you read the manual? And I went, no. And I, I, I'm looking back now thinking, my gosh, she must have thought, what have I landed here? And but the big highlight for me was I went to change a lens and it dropped into the pond. Oh, no. And so I've come out with an expletive, but Jackie just quickly dived in, got the lens, pulled it out and said, et cetera, et cetera, this is what you do. So that's in 2012. Then moved forward a few years when I was being a tour guide and I went back to Queenstown and I contacted Jackie and said, oh, Jackie, have you got a spot to do a one-on-one session? And hence we went out, shot around down at Duckling Orkey Yep. And she said, Sandy, you've improved since those days. <laughs> so that's how I got my initiation into photography, joined right. a camera club, came back here, and then I was a serious landscaper grant. So I went out. It was the weekend warrior, getting out all the time, went overseas. But then I started to dabble in Photoshop and replace the skies and, in my technical term, whack in a tree. or put in a building. And so I started to play a lot more with what I call altered landscapes. So I used my photos, but I did it in a what I call a composite image. And then from there, I just, the gloves were off. I started to enter different creative competitions, still using my own photos. But come back to what you said originally, I don't call myself a photographer anymore. I'm more of what I call a digital artist or a creative. I'm probably one of those people I think, why do we have to have labels? Yes. It's this is what I enjoy doing. So I do what I call a mixed medium now. And so some of my my own photos and digital art. And I've dabbled a little bit in AI, but it's about for me telling a story creative and being whimsical. And so I've developed my style over the years. How would you describe your style now to somebody that hadn't seen your work? Whimsical, conceptual. It's all about colour. I remember a few years ago I started to post up quite regularly in Facebook and I'd have people say, I knew it was your image before I even knew who it was. So to me, that's that was the defining moment for my style. Yep. And so it's the same now. So I like to change my styles differently over the years. For example, when I was processing some of my landscapes, I was working in the colours of Albert Namajira. I was inspired yep. by him. Then I got inspired by the colours of Monet and that sort of soft style. So for me, it's either telling a story or just creating an image for pure fun. Yeah. And I think that's really important. Yeah. The purists among the photography fraternity might frown on some of what you do, but I've never been a purist and I'm not above replacing a sky, et cetera. 
I think for me, the different, the, the differentiating, for me, the differentiating point is where somebody actually tries to pass a digitally enhanced or digitally created or generated image, whether it's AI or totally Photoshop, mm. as a photographic image, as opposed to where somebody puts their hands up when they put it out into the world and say, this is a composite, or this is a digitally enhanced, or this is a digitally created image. I guess, where do you stand in terms of that conversation around the pure form of photography, everything straight out of the camera or as much out of the camera as you can make it versus mm. where you using multiple media to actually generate a, a, one of your whimsical images? And I think that's a good point, Grant, because I do present at a different number of camera clubs. So I introduce myself and say that I'm a creative or a digital artist. And I know for some people that may not sit how they want, but I'm not labelling, if I can use that term, myself a photographer. Sure. And how I look at it is that the purists, the creatives, we all have a place somewhere because what we're doing is expressing ourselves. And photography is not the only way to express yourself visually. When I'm entering or when I was entering serious landscape competitions, I played by the rules. This is how I worked. Yep. And, you know, I find that sometimes I will get challenged and people will say to me, but you're not a photographer. That's not photography. And I'll go, I agree, because I'm not saying I'm a photographer and using only images from my camera. Yeah. And I think that there's a place like, the dreaded word AI, which is the buzzword around. If you're entering photography competition, it has to be photography. Yeah. If there's a creative, then the gloves are off and there may be restrictions in that. But I generally look at what's to say or who's to say what's right and what's wrong. We have to do something that speaks to our soul. And that's for me, that's why I've gone to that real creative because that's what I enjoy. And I respect for people that are strict landscapers or portraits or food, flat lay, all of those genres, they're expressing themselves in different ways. Absolutely, yeah. In terms of the creative motivation, where did that come from firstly for your photography and then how did that how did you see your creativity changing as you moved into more digital media? That's an interesting, if I look back, I've always been creative. On my website, I say that I love my colouring pencils, very much cherish those colouring pencils and colouring books. And if I look as then you start to get into the adult world where you're working, I was creating newsletters information. I did an interior styling certificate. That was going to be my career change from a corporate world. And then when I started to get into landscape, for me, the landscape, and I've been fortunate to see the Northern Lights when I lived in New Zealand, certainly not spoiled, the beauty of that landscape and that that feeling. And that's what I resonated. And that's what I understand a lot of photographers resonate about. It's that experience of being out, being at sunrise and all of those things. But then when I started to, my Photoshop skills improved and I started to experiment and play, 
that's where my imagination and my creativity came out because I have the thinking that imagination versus skill set. Without skill set, you can't let your imagination run free. And without imagination, you've got to work on your skill set. So that's where I'm at now is that I could be influenced by a story that's in a current affair or it could be just something that I start off with a rabbit with an umbrella and then it just goes from there. So I start thinking what would go with that? For example, when I did a presentation and I showed this one particular image that was inspired by the song Yellow by Coldplay. And so I did that. And it's a rabbit with a coat and an umbrella. And then a gentleman said to me, he said, but that's not a photo. I said, no, but we need to have a chat if you think this is real, because if you know somewhere where I can see a rabbit in a coat with an umbrella, let me know. Yeah. That's how I look at it. you just got to laugh at yourself. Yeah, totally, totally. I guess that process of experimentation and risk-taking to push your own creative abilities, where does that come from? And I guess I'm really interested in how you turn that to your advantage when generating your images. And that's a good question, Grant, because I've been doing some self-reflection over over the years of going, what is it? Why do I create these images? So I was an avid reader as a child. As an adult, I read all the Harry Potter books well before the movies came out. I have no problems going Twilight, Lord of the Rings, all of those things. And so I, I remember seeing a video by Paul McCartney and he said, the songs that I write, they've all been stored somewhere in the brain and yep. something triggers them. And it just comes out. And I could relate to that, Grant, because Mm. it could be that I just have a graphic element and I look at it and I'll go, and then all of a sudden it just, an idea comes. And I can't explain it. I can't put it into a box. But maybe it's that all those things that I've accumulated over the years, reading, Mm. movies, looking at magazines, listening to stories, all of those things. That's, I think, feeds the imagination, if that makes sense. Yep, yep. Do you ever just go out and take photos now or do you take photos with an express, I I guess, intention to take them into that digital altered frame? Yeah, I do. So a combination, I'll use a camera and my iPhone. I've got the latest iPhone. And I now photograph for elements So whereas before it was all the big vista and the big landscapes, but now I look for the quirky things. So, for example, when I was down in Melbourne just recently, I went to the Rhone exhibition and the Rhone exhibition, I was just full of detail, typewriters, little ink bottles. There was old telephones. There was newspapers. So I photographed those elements and that's what I'm photographing now. If you Still, if I could travel somewhere and photograph the landscape, I would, but I have been spoiled, and particularly as a tour guide travelling around Australia and New Zealand. But I shoot now all the quirky little things. I saw a heart-shaped chair on the front of a shop in Melbourne, and I photographed that. That's Mm -hmm. now in my latest image, Felix the cat. So that's how I shoot now. 
I guess one of the things I'm interested in with digital art in particular is how you bring together all of the elements into a single creative whole. And I don't mean necessarily just from an editing perspective, I no. mean from a conceptual perspective. How, landscape is all about composition and positioning yes. the camera in the right place. Yep. Doing what you're doing, you've still got to do that. Plus now you're adding in elements which weren't in the scene, for example or might be entirely generated by AI, how do you go about composing those and bringing together those images? So there's a lot of skills that I learned from my landscape days that I still apply into my creative work now. Processing, things like composition, balance. So when I was in landscape, one of the techniques that I learned was to try and sometimes frame for a triangle. Yep. So yep. it might be a tree, say a cloud and a building. So that's a triangle. Yeah. Yep. So say, for example, if I put, say, Felix the cat in the middle, then I look at balance. So I use that compositional. I tend to use my own backgrounds for my composites, not all the time. So sometimes I'll start with what I call a digital texture or a fine art texture, yep. and then I'll then put my elements on. But a lot of the time I'm using my own landscapes as a background. And so I know that I don't tend to build a landscape up like a lot of composite images or creatives because I know I was doing a mentoring program with another particular creative helping others. And so I would tend to use a lot of the skills that I learned from landscape that some of them didn't have. And that's what made me realise the grounding in landscape photography, leading lines, the composition, all of those things helped me get the balance of a creative image. I also know that my style doesn't suit everybody and that's fine but you've got to enjoy what you do. Absolutely, absolutely. (laughs) Talking about the mentoring and, I guess, bringing together those elements, mastering your craft is a key element of success in photography but also in creating digital art. Where did you start to pick up those things and going through those hard yards of learning both the camera and field work that you needed to do, but also the processing skills. Was there formal education or was it more self-teaching? Did you have a mentor? It was a combination of both there, Grant, because like I did do one, I did a couple of photography courses at colleges. Then like anyone, I invested money going to workshops and you learn. Mm -hmm. And then it was self-taught. And one of the things that when I was processing my landscapes was if I'd seen a new skill, a Photoshop skill in on YouTube or anything, I forced myself to use that technique in that image. So I created that image with that technique in mind for processing. Now I look back when I first started in photography, it's always about the technical side. it's, It's got to be this eye, so it's got to be that. When you start using filters, and I say I'm mathematically challenged, don't have a problem with that. So when I was learning about filters and some of the guys would say to me, oh, you use this formula and I'm going, 
you lost me, just tell me. Is it one second? Is it one and a half? Is it two seconds? That's how I learn. So some of the technical stuff, particularly from the guys, just went over the head. Very visual. And so I learned by trial and error. But you have to learn those technical skills to understand what the aperture is and the ISO. I understand that. But looking back, I don't think anyone ever spoke about seeing, looking, Hmm. when you were processing, what was the feeling that you got from being at that location? Yeah, yeah. So a classic example, when I used to do some workshops at Bridgestone Lavender and people were processing, and I say, what did it feel like? And that's what you can draw on. So hmm. it's all of those things that come into the mix. You've got to have to the technical. Yep. But just because you've got the technical doesn't mean to get that you can see. No, observe. One of the questions I always ask or often ask people on the show is how do you feel when you're out in the field? For you, there's that element of it, but how do you feel when you're in the editing suite actually creating, whether it's off the cuff or whether it's using composites? What's the what's the emotion and what's the, the feeling that you actually get in both of those places? Are they connected or are they yeah. very different? Yeah, so sometimes, for example, I don't know if you've shot ever shot at Sugar Pine Forest. And, Unfortunately, I was yeah. due to take a trip down there before it got yeah. burnt down. It got burnt down and I still haven't been. No, unfortunately... It was, to me, I've been there a couple of times and it was such a surreal feel Mm. and it's one of the very few locations that you could be in this forest and you could hear a pin drop if it dropped. And so I'm drawing, when I was processing that, I'm drawing from those feelings of silence, stillness, it was surreal. Then the imagination might, uh, it did with a couple of edits, The image that you can see on the back wall was one of my images that I was fortunate to win, a creative category. And so to me it had this glowing feeling, this surreal feeling. So that's how I processed it. If I'm coming into composite imagery or my creative, it's like I'm transported to another world. I just get lost. I have the term it shuts the inner mind out. It gets the monkey off the back. I just live in that moment of processing. And for me or anyone, being that creative, it's just like transporting to another world. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a lot of people talk about getting into that flow state, particularly in the field. Yeah. But it seems to be, for some people, a little bit different when they get into the editing suite. And I know some of the people that I've spoken to don't really enjoy editing much. They will edit and they'll do what they think they have to do or feel they have mm. to do to create the feeling or the emotion that they're looking for in the images. But, yeah, I, it's interesting to me the, that you can, and I know that I can certainly get into that flow state in editing. For me, it's that there are two different feelings. For Whilst I am trying to evoke some of that emotion coming out of where I was when I actually took the image, 
I can't necessarily feel the water lapping around my ankles or my knees or whatever. You mm, know, exactly. If yeah. I'm doing a seascape or a waterfall or something, that feeling, I guess, of being in that space and the sounds and the elements that are there do come back to me. But I do, for me, it's more of a concentrative image on the workflow. So I mm. work through my workflow. I'll experiment a little bit around the edges of that workflow I might introduce something new to the workflow or take something out of the workflow and see how that works but yeah it's for me they're two quite distinct feelings but they're definitely both flow states and I think Grant just tying in that um, that I found with um, a number of people when I speak to them about it is that instead of just diving straight into processing is actually look at the image step back think What is it you don't like? What was the mood? One of the techniques that I share is that if it doesn't come to you mentally, get a book in front of you and write down what was the feeling, cool. So that could then steer you to the colours. I'm going to give it a cool feel. What was it that, oh, hold on a minute, I didn't see that rubbish there. Oh, let's get rid of that. But then start to come in and then process your image because I find, and I don't know if you find the same, a lot of people dive in and then when they get to the end, they've really had no vision or consistent yeah. workflow. And I no understanding of what it what the end result yeah. could look like. Yeah. Yeah. And I, some people, oh sorry, yeah, I cut you off. I, I was gonna say free will sometimes and I, you know, I will play around with an image. Nine times out of ten, though, they tend to be the ones that I have half edited, got to a point where that's eh, not working for me and stopped. And yep. I might come back to it months or years later and go have another crack. 40 to 50 layers back and you go, it ain't yeah. doing it for me, <laughs> flick it. Um, I've done that many a time. And that's where it comes in because sometimes I free flow too that I'll choose an element, let's say a flamingo, yeah. and I'll go, I'll start with him or her and then I'll just build it from there and I don't know where it comes but I don't have a vision but it happens Um, One of the tricks that I use, particularly when I'm doing my creative or composite images, is that I have Lightroom open. And so I do, when I'm not feeling creative, I do a lot of prep work. And that means going through all my images, cutting Mm -hmm. out a phone, a door, a window, whatever. And so I have them in a cutout library. And so when I'm creating and I'm thinking, oh, what will I put in there? I then go over to Lightroom, look through my cutout library and go, oh, that's a little bit of a gem. I'll put that in there. Mm. And then I go, no, that didn't work. But I find having that prep time with the images and the backgrounds and being organised, that speeds up my workflow. Okay. So I find for some people what they want to do in the composites is that they get an idea, then they have to go and cut something out, then they have to come back, and it disrupts the thinking workflow. It's just half an hour looking through your images and going, oh, there's a door, there's a window, and cut them out, get them ready. And you've got, it's like like a tradie. You've got the tools that are there. Yeah. Yeah. They're ready to go when you need them. Yeah. Yeah, it's for me anyway, it harkens back to some of my graphic editing days where before I got back into photography, I used to do editing of graphics for games, yes. uh, as in computer games. I've 
did, did quite some quite extensive editing for a number of third-party modifications to certain games as well, as well as screenshot editing to create promotional things or elements for promotional videos and stuff like that. And part of what I, that bringing together those elements that you're going to need for when you when you're ready to actually create is, I, I think, a very important part of that process. It speeds your workflow up and you can find that you could look at one thing and that generates an idea yeah, and it exactly. goes from there. But what you were saying before about having a clear idea about what it is that you're trying to create, back in those days, I had a very clear idea, whether it was a menu screen or an element in the background of a a 3D rendered environment or something. Again, you had to prepare all your elements so that when you came to put it together, but you knew before you got started, okay, this is what the thing is going to look like and how you're actually going to pull it all together. Exactly. It's like a chef or you're going to cook a meal. You've got to have all your ingredients there. And it's I'll say that the analogy is that if you've got to run to the cupboard each time to get an ingredient, how yeah. long is it going to bake, take for you to bake this cake? That's it. Yeah. So do your prep work. Get it all ready. Yeah. No, good advice, I think. <laughs> oh, I've been finding lots of little things in the, in the in a, what is it, the Lightroom catalogue, all these things. Yeah, brilliant. Let's talk a little bit about the lifestyle choice. You said before we started recording that you've made this your full-time career. How did that come about? How do you balance what you're doing with other aspects of your life? As we were speaking about before, Grant, the year that never was or started the year that never was 2020, I worked as a virtually a tour guide seven months on the road a year. Yep. And so I was travelling Australia and New Zealand with internationals. And then when COVID hit, there was no work. And I started to think, what am I going to do? And I only just started dabbling in Zoom. So then I started to do some online events. And it was purely to, to be able to speak to people sure. and engage with people. And then I found that people were interested in learning. And my background was from a corporate education or a corporate trainer. So I was stepping back into the training or teaching role. And then I started to enjoy it and then so fortunate to meet people from all over the world. You talk, people start to like your work and follow your work and you think, oh, this is really interesting. And that sustained me for probably about the year and a half, two years, and that's where I thought I'm enjoying doing what I'm doing, being a creative. And I have had my own business before in other lifetimes. And so I made that conscious choice. And I think what we were discussing, Grant, is that you make your conscious choice because, I, one, I was tired of travelling seven months a year. Yep. I didn't want the stress of dealing with all the logistics that I would have had to do for a four-week tour. So now I'm enjoying. It's People say, oh, you've got plenty of time. It's, it's just, Grant, you can have a laugh. We're laughing with each other because it's very much just like a job. You get up, you start, you work. Yep. You may stagger your hours. Yeah, but you're still doing an office day. What I call an office day, marketing. Yeah, here we are at eight thirty. I'm definitely at work. <laughs> I'm definitely at work. I get up sometimes if I can't sleep, six o'clock, and I'll start doing emails. Yeah, and no, I'll, I have I'll, an idea. 
I was jotting down thoughts at 3 a.m. this morning too. I can relate to that. So, yeah, 7 o'clock I was like ready to go this morning and then it's, but I think that's you're in control of your own destiny. I think that you particularly for me and I'm sure for you, you enjoy what you do and you're passionate about it. And so that gives you that drive and that motivation and you reap the rewards and sometimes it's a hard slog when you've got your own business. Oh, absolutely. But uh, I take the philosophy, I'm not in there to make the millions. I don't think I ever will, but hey, give it a crack. <laughs> yeah, well, sure. If some, someone wants to pay me millions of dollars, I'll keep doing it. But uh, Hold on a minute. I'll be in the door before you. Yeah, I'll do it even if I don't get that. Exactly. <laughs> yep. And so that's where I think there is positives. For me, there's been positives from COVID and reassessing life. Yeah. So... I guess one of the things you mentioned there was doing some mentoring and doing coaching. Where did that sort of stem from and how does that take shape in, in, in as part of your business? So what I do is one-on-one sessions. I'll either do Photoshop training. I'll give critique on an image. Sometimes people will buy what I call a block and of time and then yep. they'll say, I've got this image, can you give me feedback? because I've done judging for camera clubs and other things as well. So that's just another arm, but I enjoy it. It's It probably stems way back that in a past lifetime, I coached netball at elite level. Yeah. And so what we were talking about, Grant, is all the skills that we've had for life are now coming together, and it's just now we're applying it in this kind of field. So I enjoy the coaching and mentoring. I love it when I see when people share an image or for some people that I've helped, they've done well in a camera club competition or whatever, and I get really excited for them because that to me is part of why I do it, to see other people get a little bit of a reward if they get a merit at camera club. It's fantastic. And that's what I do. I love. Mm. I think it's really important to give back to the industry and give back to people that are just starting out or at different stages in their career, call it a career or call it whatever you want, could be a hobby mm. for some people. Could be a hobby, passion. But I think for me as well, that do, doing workshops and doing one-on-one editing sessions online and so forth, I get a big kick out of seeing, as you do, some mm. of those people, you can see the improvement in their work and yep. you can feel that, okay, you've had a bit of a hand in that. It's not all you, and it shouldn't be because it it should be all them. But Mm. part of what you're doing is giving them that sort of leg up to the next level of of where they are. Exactly. And that was probably one of the, when I was coaching, one of the, and I forget who said it, was a coach is there to do a job and you have done that job when that player doesn't need you anymore. Exactly, yeah. And that still sticks with me that if I see someone, I've had a couple that have done well in competitions that I've helped or they've had an exhibition, and I think that's fabulous because it's we all start somewhere. We all have learned from somewhere. Someone's helped us. Yep. And in turn, because I I still do a number of free sessions because it's about my way of giving, you know, and helping as as well do you print and exhibit any of your work i have got a printer actually over just over there but i don't i'm not using it much i haven't 
done any exhibits. I'd like to, but I know it's a costly affair. Yeah, yeah. And it's so... It's not as straightforward my... as just turning up and hanging stuff on a wall. Yeah. Exactly. I have I have another uh, a friend who's a well-known creative and I know what she goes through and the costs that she goes through to exhibit. But one of my personal projects for this year is to do a book. Yeah. And I want to do a coffee table book. Not and I think my work would suit for that kind of coffee table book. But that's my personal project to work on. Cool. Do you think it's important to have projects to keep your mind sharp and focused on getting that outcome? Definitely. I remember way back someone said, I've got a personal project and I didn't take much notice of it. But I think at the beginning of the year, I was in a creative slump. It's the same, Grant, you would get into a photography slump getting yep. out there. And so I had a creative slump and I, I just didn't feel like creating. But I also know the longer I leave it, the less I feel to be creative. Yeah. So I was listening to a song one day and I've loved it for forever and it's called The Sounds of Silence by Simon and Garfunkel. And this one particular time when I was listening to it, one verse just resonated with me. And so then I decided to do an image, to create an image to that paragraph or verse. And then I thought, I'm going to make a project out of this. So I actually did an image for each verse in the song. Right. And I didn't give myself a time frame. I didn't give myself any rules or parameters. But it took me about six weeks and... It was the most enjoyable experience I've had. It forced me conceptually to work as a creative. I had to look for the elements to relate to that song, but it really helped me. And I want to do another song, but I just haven't found a song to grab me yet. So it'll happen. But personal projects book, I'll do a couple of other things. I'm known for liking a cup of coffee, Grant, so I share my coffee quotes. So I think I might branch out into the coffee mug business <laughs> and put images, my images on there. So it's not always about, I think, for me looking at it, it's not always about hanging your work on a wall. Yeah, yeah. There's so, so many ways that you could approach monetizing, and even if you're not monetizing just for fun. Yeah applying the images wherever you want. Yep, so you Sandra D's coffee mugs. That's it. Why not? Exactly. <laughs> you obviously mentioned there incorporating elements of storytelling and narrative into your work. Uh, I guess just digging a little bit deeper into that, what techniques were you using with that song in, in particular to convey the mood or emotion of the music. Yep. I listened to the song and then I picked up keywords. I've actually on my website got the sounds of silence, the whole gallery. But when I felt like creating an image, I just listened to the song while I was just emails doing other things and I kept listening to the words and then the words would resonate with me. So while I was editing... I had the song playing constantly to me. Yeah. So it I was feeling that song. 
And it's not a technique that I've ever used before, but I found it really worked for me. And so then it might say, hello, darkness, my old friend, I'm here to talk to you again. So I looked in my stock library, I didn't have images. So then I looked at where I could get some elements. So I get my elements from scrapbooking sites, a number of other creative artists that are digital artists. And then when I was listening to that song and editing, it just, I don't know, it just, I was in another zone. Mm. And that was one technique that I used. If I had an idea, I'd write it down in a visual diary. And so I'd write, so I have a visual diary. Not so much lately, but if I get an idea, I'd write it into a diary and it could be just keywords, it could be stick figures, it could be anything. And so that when I feel like being creative, so Grant, the question I'll ask you and I'll answer this is sometimes do you feel like someone's tapping you on the shoulder and going, you need to get out with a camera, Grant? Oh, absolutely, yeah. So it's the same for me is I feel someone's tapping me on the shoulder going, you need to be creative. You need to feel the inner self. That's what happens. So I get the visual diary and I look at it and I go, oh, what a fantastic idea. And then I might create. But I've it's about showing up and I've learned now to show up and do some work, either cutting out, being inspired, looking at other artists, all of those things. So I'm showing up by just being there. You mentioned the time spent scrapbooking or also jotting down images and so forth. How long would you let an idea gestate before you actually started work on it? And how much would you, and I guess how much of that time would be planning versus the prepping as you use the cooking analogy, going to the cupboard, getting everything that you needed out and setting it up I'm this is an interesting concept because I was talking to another creative I'm organic so if someone taps me on the shoulder and says come on Sandra you need to create something I'll look in my stock library and I'll go oh I like that flamingo I'm going to use that Mm. I don't have an idea but because I've done my prep work or I've bought some of my digital art from digital artists I've got it all organised. Then the next question I get asked a lot, how long does it take for you to create something? Yeah. And I'm one of the... That's going to be my next question. (laughs) Sorry, I preempted. That's Um, fine. (laughs) Yeah, is that when I get that urge, I've got to finish it. I'm not one to take weeks to finish an image. I'm not one to have days. If I need to finish it, I will sit and finish it. But when I say I'm organic, an idea will kick in and then I create. But because I've got the elements there, I'm ready to go. But I may have to look for backgrounds or I may have to look for textures or trees if I don't have them there. Yeah. But it's just, to me, I couldn't work on an image for weeks because I'd go stir crazy. And then you come to that, how long is a piece of string? And are you always, are you going to reach perfection? And so some of the images, Grant, that I put up on social media, they're not my best work, but you know what? It's about me sharing being creative. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be perfect. Yep. And it's just about the pure joy of creating something. 
Yeah, got it. But I know that particularly when I was coaching, there were a lot of players that wanted to succeed but feared failing. So in the end, they wouldn't try. Yeah, they didn't give they didn't yeah. give hundred percent because they didn't want to fail. Yeah. Correct. And so sometimes I put up my work and I go I look back now and I go, my God, what was I thinking when I created that? <laughs> what drugs was I on? Oh, hold on a minute. I, I do with I do that with some of my fresh work now. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that shows that you're human. It's not always about being perfect, but yeah. some people that's how they're wired and I respect that and I understand that. You mentioned social media and the sharing of the work. How important is that to you as a part of the business but also part of your creative endeavour? Yeah, there, there was, I'm going to answer it in a long way oh. and I didn't realise until I wrote plenty of time. <laughs> I didn't realise until I wrote a blog and when I was travelling seven months on the road mm. and so I take my laptop and I go to the camera and I photograph and I found that I was editing images at night or and I post them up on a particular couple of landscape Facebook groups. But I didn't realise that helped me, one, fine-tune my skills, but two, it helped me cope with the stress of the job that I had as a tour guide. Yeah. So I would, and particularly if I had a few people that weren't particularly nice, and you do get those in that industry, yep. uh, I would edit and process. In the recent blog that I wrote, I didn't realise it was part of my coping mechanism and good for my mental health. And I didn't realise that at the time, but now I look back and I go, that really helped me. And someone would say, oh, great image, Sandra, where'd you get that? And so I'd have a little bit of a chat and so it was engaging. Yeah. So that really formed an early part of me developing my skills. Now it's social media is, yes, it's business, but, you know, if I've got some information or I've just done an image, I like to share because yeah. at the end whether you're a photographer, an artist or a creative, it's about sharing. But if I get one like, who cares? I don't care. It's just about I'm just sharing mm. an image that I've created. Yeah. I think everyone likes that endorphin hit when somebody says, love your work or you get yeah. a few hundred likes on, a, on an image or a few thousand likes on an image. Everyone's going to go, oh, that, that gives me a oh, nice feeling. Exactly. But I think a lot of people put too much stock into that and I think the social media companies themselves also the psychology of how they operate is to keep you attached to that app as long as possible in coming back and that's why they have notifications. I'm, I've turned off all notifications on everything except my personal email sorry, my business email, my personal email and SMS messages. They're the only things that I have notifications on my phone. Yep. Everything else I'll look at when I've got time or when I'm posting or, and yeah, I post a lot. I post a lot around the podcast. There's three promos that I do each week. There's posts around the images that I do. So I'm not saying I don't use them, but mm. I use them in a way where I feel more in control of what I'm doing 
and I use them when I want to as opposed to when they want me to. And I think you can get hooked. I will work, do emails and do other creative stuff, but I'll have, say, Facebook open and stuff. Someone's made a comment. I always work on acknowledging and saying thank you. I think that's the courtesy. And I think that sometimes courtesy has gone out the window for a lot of people, particularly in the hospital, the tourism industry that I was in. But I also think that there's times there, like for example, I might get a friend request and I will come back and say, look, I like to keep my personal Facebook private. If yep. you like my work, I'm more than happy um, for you to look at Facebook. But you've got to have that fine line of it's not just about social media. But I know there's one on using Pinterest and a friend of mine's really described it. It's you have to keep feeding the beast. Yep. And you do. Yeah. And I got hooked into it. And now I'm like, okay, I'm going to sit back a little bit. I don't have to keep feeding the beast because I've got other things that I want to do. Absolutely. Yeah. As I say, they are geared to keep you attached to them for as as long yep. as possible. Exactly. No, I don't know if it's for everyone. I don't know if it's Android users or whatever, but I've noticed that both Facebook and Instagram now, when I post, there's no longer an op- option to add it to Twitter. Which, yeah, well, I was never a Twitter, fa- never Twitter person. So um, yeah, I've been on Twitter. I can't answer that one. I've been on Twitter since 2010. I've had friends. Uh, again, that... I've, uh, anything, you learn how to use it. And a lot of people get a little bit leery of, of Twitter as a platform. It's got its bad points very much uh, like anything else. And it's got its bad areas. But I've honed my feed anyway to a point where I get what I want to see as yeah. opposed to what somebody else might want to chuck at me. Yeah. And there's a couple of apps that I have that, I get a really good cross-section of creative work, photography. If I see an article that I think is of interest, then I'll save it and then I'll share it up there. Mm. But uh, the social media is just part of the platform when you've got your own business, particularly in a creative. Yeah, I don't think you can afford to not be engaging in social media because if nothing else, it's relatively free advertising. Plus you can pay if you want to pay to play and I've got a few paid ads out at the moment for some of my workshops and some of my, some of the things that I want to want to push but I think if you're in control of it it's it's a much better proposition than if you're letting it control your life and letting it's the the letting it grind you down in ways that are unhealthy, which it can do. You can look at it and go, my my post only got one like or no likes or whatever. Shrug, get on with it, post something else. And and I think, clearly that uh, didn't resonate with people. That's all that, it means. That, exactly. And I do a couple of strategies that particularly if I'm, like what I'll do tonight is that it has been a what I call an office day on a computer the other And so when I finish here is that I'll go and make a cup of tea and I'll sit down and I'll read. And I'm reading books as opposed to reading on an iPad. Yep. So I'm trying to cut that white noise down. Yeah. And But when I'm travelling, it's an iPad. But I do those little things and then I make sure I don't look at anything like the Instagram reels or, you know, and TikTok. There's some funny stuff in there. Some people go, oh, but it's you get get a laugh. 
yeah. out of some of the things, and but I try and cut that out and just switch the brain off and do that. And I think it is important that you've got to realise it because I know when I first started, not with the business, but way back when I was posting up social media, it was like, oh, how many likes did I get? Oh, oh, someone didn't like it. It does your head in. Yeah. And so you just got to go, okay, you didn't like it. I like it. Yeah, so I, enjoy, it. I enjoyed the experience yeah, exactly. of both taking and editing that shot. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Who are you yeah. doing it for? you still got to get that enjoyment yourself. Absolutely, absolutely. One of the things I normally ask is what photographers see as the biggest challenge facing photographers. I think you can probably still have an opinion on that, even though you don't call yourself a photographer. Yeah. Where do you see the biggest challenge for photographers, in particular landscape photographers at the moment? Yeah, look, that's it's going to be in a roundabout because I know when you talk to photographers there, a lot of them are very anti the AI. And I think there's benefits to AI and there's also there's going to be a change. And I think that we're at the cusp of change. Oh, very um, yeah. And the doors, we had this discussion at a presentation recently that I did, and I said the, the gates are opened. The gates are not going to close. It's no. opened. Whether you embrace it, or not is your personal choice. But I think for photographers is that there'll always be a place for photography. They'll, you've got to look at your record shots, all of those things, the landscape. It's a hobby for some people. Yep. And so it's a passion for some people and some people it's a business. So there's a place there for the photographers. The th Not the threat, but I think we're... Photography competitions or camera clubs, they have to evolve with the change. Yeah. And, and I put that recently or some time ago, I read an article where it said Kodak, when digital cameras came out and Kodak said digital cameras will never take off. Yeah, it's a fad. <laughs> and Kodak now is mainly in the cinematic colour grading. And if you want to get out and be with the camera, enjoy that experience, there's a place there for you. Yeah, yeah. If someone wants to step over into another genre and be creative, that's their choice. I also look at it, and I'm sure you saw that, and I can't think who the artist was, that photo of two women's faces that won a recent competition. Yep. I think that photography competitions or illustrator whatever they now have to have categories for the AI and the illustrative yep. and allow people to actually do that but can't compete against photographers. So when I was in landscape grant, Ariel was starting in the drones. And yep. how could a landscape photographer compete as a 2D platform viewing mm. to a 3D view? You, yep. They're two different viewpoints. <clears throat> so I think it's the same. Yeah. that we've got to change in our thinking or not got to. I think a broader approach has to be taken to it. And I don't think that AI imagery should come into photography because they're two different fields. Yeah, um, And what's the best camera that you got? It's the one that you got with you. Absolutely. Yeah. 
But for some people, I know that a lot of photographers, I'm not going to go AI, et cetera, and I go, I respect that. That's your choice. But you can't change technology. No. Photography itself, and I exclude AI generative imagery, I include that with digital artistry. Yes. I exclude it from photography because... Correct. It is not photography, regardless of what it's been trained on. It's definitely not photography. No. But I think in terms of when you look at where we started in the late 1800s with silver nitrate glass plates moving to film 35mm, 110mm, et cetera, et cetera, Instamatics, automatic camera, automatic focus, then moving into digital Photography has evolved and changed and the technology around it has changed over the 100 or so, 150 odd years or whatever it is now. Well, actually coming up for 200 years. Yep, it's close on 200. Yep. Yeah, close on 200 years now. And in that period, I think photographers have adapted. Some companies have and some companies haven't adapted. Mm. And anything in life, it's the people and the organizations that can adapt that survive yep there is a very distinct survival of the fittest regime in place in industry anyway and that doesn't mean there are people out there that still go out with those big large format glass plate silver nitrate exactly yeah and take wonderful images but they're seen as something different and it's a way of keeping some of those traditional elements of photography alive but i think skills alive exactly but i think very much the ability to adapt and change with the way that technology changes just the revolution that digital became or has become and the ability to edit you're now seeing a lot of what is called AI. I personally, coming from an IT background, it's not actually an intelligence per se, but it is an algorithm that learns based on what you feed it. And yes, it does some amazing stuff and it's still very much the embryonic stages of what could eventually become some kind of artificial intelligence, real intelligence, uh, which actually has multiple facets to it but what you're seeing now is elements where one will be focused on imagery one will be focused on text prompts one will be focused on voice prompts when Mm. you've got all of those things coming together and it's starting to become more human-like then we can have a conversation about ai that's that said but going back to my point that adaptation that people give that adaptate the adaptation that people apply to themselves and the technology that they're using i think is where progress does get made and you look at the ai elements which are with which are now in things like photoshop a number of other tools that are out there lightroom it's got ai sitting in the background exactly Uh, you can't ignore the fact that 